This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 33 Pressure. For as long as he could remember, John Allen felt nothing but pressure. The Bank of Virginia was constantly breathing down his neck after Ellison Allen's failed expansion efforts overseas. And unlike his business partner, John didn't have money in the bank. He spent everything he had trying to keep up with society. Uncle William Galt was one of the richest men in the Commonwealth, but there was no way he was going to ask the old man for a dime. His proud Scottish ethics made sure of that. Growing up, John had heard stories of America's bounty, that the streets were paved in gold. Unfortunately for him, it was hardly the windfall he had been promised. Of course, it wasn't all that bad. He had made friends and colleagues and married the prettiest woman in all of Richmond. But in recent years, that joy of life had drained from Fanny, and doctors from Richmond to New York couldn't seem to cure her melancholia. Thank heavens for his sister-in-law. Miss Nancy Valentine cared for Fanny in a way that only a sister can. In exchange, John promised that she'd always have a place to live. Miss Nancy recognized this generosity. If only Eddie had an ounce of her gratitude. The kid was an absolute mystery to John, a walking cipher with no known key. As Eddie grew in size, so too did his arrogance, defiance, and attitude. Communicating with the kid was next to impossible, even when he was given everything under the sun. Dumb fool boy doesn't know how good he's got it. Sometimes John blamed Fanny for Eddie's spoils. She had been the one to insist that they rescue the toddler Edgar after the great actress Eliza Poe passed away. May she rest in peace. And while he had always been apprehensive about taking the child away from his rightful family, in time, he too grew to love little Eddie, even if Frances dressed him in ridiculous tiny velvet suits and made him prance around for her friends at tea. Where John had come from, boys were given duties at his age. In Scotland, life wasn't all tea and crumpets. It was hard knocks and grit. And this he wanted to instill in little Eddie more than anything, despite Fanny's pleas to the contrary. Meanwhile, John took the child with him as much as he could. On trips to the plantation, they would talk about adoption. But the move to England seemed to change everything. At first, John tried taking Eddie with him on business trips in the English countryside. But somewhere between pride and perspicacity, he began to change his mind. So when they got to John's childhood home in Ayrshire, he left little Eddie with his sister Mary and other children his age. But when he returned to collect Eddie, he was met by an insolent youth. Things just went from bad to worse when John had to break the news to the boy that his biological grandfather, David Poe Sr., had died before they could get back to America. So John threw a bone to the boy by enrolling him in the finest English boarding school he could find. The Manor House School in Stoke Newington would allow Eddie to be with other expats and visit the Allens' apartment on weekends. The arrangement even seemed to work, and John thought all was forgiven when Eddie dropped the name Poe and simply went by Edgar Allen. But then, when other children learned that the boy was related to a war hero and a close personal friend of the Marquis de Lafayette, Eddie went back to signing his work Edgar Allan Poe. This left John to assume the boy wasn't interested in adoption at all. And so, without another word, he dropped the topic altogether. But that didn't mean he didn't love the boy, which is why he was doing his best to get his work published. 
And if that happened, maybe, just maybe, the kid would finally see that John wasn't conspiring against him, but rather looking out for him. Mr. Allen, so good to see you, sir. The pleasure is mine, Mr. Clark. John placed Edgar's manuscripts on the heavy mahogany desk to rest. Thank you for seeing me and for taking a look at Eddie's work. Edgar is a special boy, one of my star pupils. I'm only sorry you had to tow this manuscript here. I'm quite familiar with the boy's work. A penchant for the gothic he seems to have. (laughs) You have no idea. So then, do you think Eddie stands a chance with his writing? Clark paused to compose the right words. Edgar is superb in his scholarship, cheerful and brimful of mirth, a great favorite with his schoolmates. I have never had an occasion to speak a harsh word to him, much less to make him do penance. However, I feel his ambition to excel may be his downfall. John's face fell flat. Despite his tough Scottish veneer, this piece of news hurt him too. I appreciate his talents, but at 14 years old, I can hardly endorse publication. You see, he is of a very excitable temperament, possessing a great deal of self-esteem, and it would be injurious to allow him to be flattered and talked about as the author of a printed book at his age. I knew it. I told my wife he needed some humbling. She's filling his head with bullocks. Right. Time's a-wasting. From here on out, it's tough love for Eddie to save him from further incorrigible spoils. Across town, Eddie paced around the parlor. You're going to wear the carpet out. Francis, Nancy, and Juliet each said separately as they passed by. This was it. All those years of pain and sorrow and misfortune poured into ink and parchment. It had to be worth something. To the outside world, Eddie seemed like a privileged boy. But late at night, when the imps of the perverse crept in, the only way to get those demons out of his head was onto paper. Now, all Eddie could think about, obsess about, really, was what Mr. Clark would do for him. Thud! The front door closed with a bang. Eddie dashed to the foyer to greet Pa. Their eyes met, and without a word, John slowly shook his head. Then he quietly placed the manuscript on the front table, entered his study, and closed the door behind. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars, and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.